0: A breakdown in the trust that held the relationship together occurred. And as the point person in PMO for the attorney general, I take responsibility for that breakdown. When you boil it all down, all we ever asked the attorney general to do was to consider a second opinion. If this was wrong and wrong in the way it is alleged to have been wrong, why are we having this discussion now? and not in the middle of September or October or November or December This is Vancouver Province columnist Mike Smith and I'm Vancouver Sun columnist Rob Shaw It's time to go in the house and go Inside BC Politics Welcome to another podcast, a little change in the lineup this week. We got Rob Shaw down with the sick today, but we got a pretty good pinch hitter coming in from the bullpen here. We got Vaughn Palmer, columnist at the Vancouver Sun, my friend and colleague, and he knows a thing or two about this place. Vaughn, thanks for stepping in here.
1: Well, a young guy is sick, so you have to go find a has-been, is I guess the story. <laughs> but anyway, here I am. I uh, Maybe it never was, but here I am, and uh, lots to talk about, Mike.
0: Okay, we heard the voice at the top of the podcast of Jerry Butts, the former Principal Secretary to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. This is the guy who quit a few weeks ago over the SNC-Lavalin scandal. Says he didn't do anything wrong, but I guess you got to wonder why he quit. He got into that in his testimony this week at the uh, Justice Committee at the House of Commons. I know you were keeping an eye on it, Vaughn, so was I. What jumped out at you there from Jerry Butts?
1: Well, I thought he provided a plausible counter-narrative to Jody Wilson-Raybould's version of events on the face of it. You know, he says that they were worried about the jobs in Quebec, that they think it's perfectly legitimate to get outside legal advice, saying, could you bring in uh, this deferred prosecution agreement to protect SNC-Lavalin? And he explained that... Uh, Wilson-Raybould was not dropped from cabinet over that. Rather, it was a case of the prime minister having to balance a whole bunch of other things. And he says that he resigned because he realized that he's responsible for a breakdown in communications between the prime minister and a a key minister in the government. And he thought it was wrong uh, for him to remain because it would put the prime minister in a position of siding with somebody who he's known for 30 years and is, in fact, the prime minister's best friend.
0: Still kind of a he said she said, though isn't it? I mean, you got Jody Wilson Raybold last week, the vancouver m p of course the the former attorney general who testified and told a very different story where she talked about the relentless hounding and pressure she says she was under by nearly a dozen of the top power players in government, including this guy, Jerry Butts, to let this Quebec based company off the hook on these criminal charges. So he was asked about that. Why did she characterize it as you were pressuring her to give this company a break? And he says not. And his answer his answer on that one was didn't really sit well with me because he said, well, people experience things differently. This seems to be kind of a recurring theme with Trudeau and his government that she what she maybe thought it was pressure, but it wasn't pressure. Uh, he certainly was very calm, cool, and collected in his testimony. I thought it was effective at times, but that part just fell a little flat with me. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that's the the key question for him is why did she draw such a different set of conclusions? And it's interesting. You know, the liberals, one of the things they're doing in trying to manage this thing is they're not attacking... Wilson Raybol, yeah. and they're not attacking the other minister who quit this week, uh, Philpott. So, their whole thing is to say, "No, no, you know, we, uh, what we did was appropriate, warranted. It was about protecting jobs. And yes, these now other two ministers saw it differently than we did." But that's just a perception issue. Right. That is not a, a, We do not fundamentally disagree on the facts. And, of course, they keep quoting what Wilson-Raybould said last week, which was that uh, she felt pressured and yeah. she didn't think it was right, but she didn't think they crossed the line into doing anything illegal.
0: I thought he would come to this committee meeting with a little bit more evidence. I thought maybe he would have more sort of exculpatory kind of evidence to show his side of it and undermine her, and I think he did to an extent, but maybe not as much as I anticipated. He certainly was calm, cool, and collected, though, on the witness stand does this put an end to it now i mean the problem for trudeau and you and i were just talking about this before we started recording is that this is like the old drip 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 factor where this thing's been going how long has this been this we've been talking about this thing now
1: a month well we've covered an awful lot of political scandals together mike yeah. over the years and one of the first questions you always get to is does it have legs yeah. so whatever however bad it looks on the first couple of days are they going to be able to manage it are they going to turn the page and move on? The, the thing that's fascinating about this is that it's gone on for a month. Yeah. Supposedly, Trudeau and Butts and people like that are the smartest guys in the room. That's what they told us when they got elected. And yet, this thing has gone on for a month and it doesn't look like it's going to come to an end yet. Yeah. Uh, so, I think it's too soon <laughs> to talk about the impact of it. Yeah. Yes, the election is seven months in a way, and, and we also know Mike, from experience, that campaigns make a huge difference. Yeah. You can think things are headed a certain way the election starts and it can take a completely different direction. Just ask Adrian Dix, just ask Tom Mulcair, just ask Christy Clark. So, but I still say, you know, when something has gone on for a month, I think it does start to change the public perception of things. And if I were uh, advising the federal liberals and Trudeau, that's what I would be worried about, that this thing is smells and it's gone on for a long time. And if
0: you take a look at some of the recent opinion polls, including an Ipsos poll that came out this week, it shows the conservatives and Andrew Scheer opening up a, a fairly sizable lead over the liberals here in the opinion polls. You know, seven months, though that's a long time in politics and a lot of things can change. And I I wonder if this is a fatal injury to Trudeau because seven months is a long time. It's, it's a somewhat complex, uh, scandal. As we get closer to an election campaign, I wonder if people start to focus more on old, old fashioned pocketbook issues that affect their own lives and not necessarily this thing. And then when you take a look at Trudeau's opponents, not exactly lighting the world on fire themselves, right? I mean, we've seen Jugmeet Singh, the new, the newly elected uh, NDP leader, who just won that by election. You know, they're really doing poorly in the polls, and Andrew Scheer is just not the most dynamic leader either. Although, you know, maybe he gets on a roll and starts and starts connecting with the public too. But I don't think you can count Trudeau out oh,
1: I by any means.
0: I would agree. One of the oldest observations in
1: politics that's worth keeping in mind is that you do not have to be a ten. To win an election. If your opponent's a two, you only have to be a three. And it it does come down to choices and how you read leaders. And also, you know, the conservative vote may be split between Cher and this guy Bernier. We don't know how the NDP is going to play under the new leader, although he's had some BC MPs already say they're not running again. And Trudeau and Quebec uh, on this issue of SNC-Lavalin. This is another one of these issues in Canada where it is seen as totally different yeah. in Quebec, where yeah. SNC-Lavalin is a respected company and all that. And, here's, jobs, and right? here's another interesting thing, right? You and I were at a scrum last week where John Horgan was asked, well, wait a minute, SNC-Lavalin's on the short list to build the Patello Bridge replacement. Right. And Horgan says, yeah, they'll stay there unless they get convicted of a crime or something. So it's there's... Way too many pieces in motion here to say where it's all going to play out in the fall.
0: Last one for you on this on SNC, and then we'll move on. I, I actually spoke to Jody wilson on the on the yeah. weekend about this, and one of the things I asked her was, what are your immediate plans? Are you remaining in the Liberal caucus, and do you intend to run again? And it was yes and yes. Yeah. She's staying in the Liberal caucus. She is not resigning from the Liberal Party. And in fact, she intends to run again in the fall, in Vancouver Granville under the liberal banner and she said she's already got the nomination the nomination's already been confirmed is this a problem for trudeau and now you've got uh, jane philpot another uh, key cabinet minister resigns on him this week does he kick them out i mean what does he do with these people does he keep them in the tent or kick them out of the caucus out of the party this is a this is a i dare you moment yeah, yeah. for the two of them right yeah. they're
1: they're going to caucus and yet and philpot in fact casts a broader net in her criticism in her letter of resignation than did Jody Wilson-Raybould. She basically brands the whole cabinet at having caved on this issue. So uh, you know, again, that's another thing that's really interesting. Do they let them stay in and say, oh, we have a different view of things but we're going to let them stay in or do they kick them out because they've cast doubt on the Prime Minister's judgment and on the judgment of the whole cabinet and again, we don't know how that's going to play out.
0: Okay, let's bring it home here to some provincial politics and I'm going to play a clip here now Vaughn of uh, Andrew Wilkinson leader of the Liberal Party putting his foot in his mouth here now this is a clip that he's he's having trouble living down where he's talking about what it's like to be a renter this has become known as the wacky renters uh, clip it's it's a take I think that's a little cringe worthy here's what he said about renters
1: let's protect the renters I was a renter for 15 years other than a dozen different rentals. It was challenging at times, but it was fun. It was part of growing up and getting better. We've all done it. It's kind of a wacky time of life, but it can be really enjoyable. Being a renter is a fact of life. It's a rite of
0: passage. Okay. Sorry. He's, yeah, he's, um, he's had some problems with this. Uh, I think it plays into a lot of negative preconceptions about mm-hmm. him and the Liberal Party that he's kind of an elitist, maybe out of touch, uh, doesn't understand the struggles of people who can't afford to buy a home. And don't have any choice. They have to rent. He spent a very awkward several days trying to walk this thing back. I think he handled it poorly. Your thoughts on
1: that? Uh, Yeah, I think you're quite right about that. In fact, our our ailing friend, Mr. Shaw, had a nice piece in the paper this week pointing out that in the space of 72 hours, Wilkinson went from saying it, not backing down on it, trying to provide context, which is always a hopeless exercise when you've said something stupid, and then finally (laughs) starting to apologize, right? But it takes... It takes him several days to get through that process. And I know he was on the Internet, you know, hello there, young folks. I'm on this Internet site this week, still apologizing. Mm -hmm. So, And then, as you will know, he followed that with uh, context is everything in this way. uh, He makes some kind of a comment about the NDP government's decision to eliminate the interest rate on student loans. And instead of simply saying, it's probably time we did that, Uh, He says, no, no, I'm really worried about this because, you know, young people might borrow too much money. And if they don't have to pay interest, they might not pay it back, which insensitive, patronizing uh, and wrong footing himself. As a leader, you have to be aware of the stereotypes about you, even if you think they're unfair. And the stereotype about him is that he's, you know, an elitist and he comes from one of the richest ridings in the province and so you need to be doubly sensitive around that. In the same way that New Democrats have to be careful because the rap on them is they don't know how to run the economy and they don't, know, they don't believe in creating jobs. It's not fair, but they're aware of it and they have to address it. And Weaver, sorry, Wilkinson has the same problem.
0: When Wilkinson first made the comment about the renters, um, that jumped out at me immediately. And I thought this is an you know, absolutely cringeworthy sort of take that is not going to sit well with anybody who's forced to rent because they can't afford to buy a home. And it's not just young people or whatever. It's in many cases, it's working people who, especially in this market where the price of a homes have become unaffordable for non-millionaires in many cases. I'm thinking too of like low income seniors who might be renting a place. I mean, there's so many, there's such a large pool of people who would be unhappy with a comment like that, And I thought, he's got to walk this back right away. And, you know, I I don't know who's giving him advice, but, you know, one of the rules in politics I heard a long time ago, too, is when you make a mistake like this, it's probably best to, it's like ripping off the Band-Aid, pull it off right away and walk it back immediately. Instead, he took at least 24 hours to kind of sort of start walking it back. And I thought, you know, the the original comment was a, a botched job. And then the cleanup effort after it was also really poorly done. Uh, then he comes in with the uh, the rent, the uh, student, uh, the student loan issue. This has been a popular measure by this government, right? To I, I would say yeah. to eliminate interest. It was a, it was an uh, NDP campaign promise to eliminate interest on student loans. They've delivered it. it. Took them a year and a half, but they got there. If you're a student loan, the students, or you're a parent whose kids have got student loans, you got to love that
1: well and the liberals left more than enough money in the kitty when they lost the election to have done it themselves yeah, right we yeah. we've got a long list of stuff that the ndp did that the liberals could have afforded to do they left behind a surplus of over 2 billion dollars so it it was affordable and and it was something that would help a lot of people uh, and i agree with you when you say something stupid i blew that man that was a yeah. dumb comment i made and you know I know what I was trying to say, but I blew it, right? It, the faster you do that in politics, the, the more quickly you move on. Uh, and you're right. It took him several days to finally do that. And, and as a result, he still apologized. Made it worse.
0: Made yeah. it worse. And the, the first thing I thought, too, when I saw the the, the video clip of it was, you're going to see this in an NDP uh, TV commercial. And lo and behold, right away, the NDP had quickly turned it around into a social media campaign where they're playing the clip just Andrew Wilkinson in his own words, what he said about renters and just letting it speak for itself. I mean, that was a gift to the NDP, I thought.
1: And it was circulating on social media within an hour or yeah. so of him making the comment, if your staff are on the ball, if your media monitoring people are on the ball, they knew by sundown that day that they had a political problem. Yeah. The right thing to have done was Right then and there, get the leader to apologize, retract, make clear the context, and all of that. And so, I would say either his staff failed him and didn't pick it up, or he was too stubborn to listen to them. Yeah, and in either case, it compounded the error.
0: Well, one of the knocks on him is that he's a super smart guy, right? Smartest
1: guy in the room, he's
0: the smartest guy him. in the
1: room, and knows, him. and he knows that. that's the thing. He's a
0: doc, he's not only a doctor. He's also a lawyer yeah, yeah. and he's a Rhodes Scholar. Yeah. I mean, this guy is a total brainiac, but the, the, sometimes the vibe you get off him is, like you just said, I'm smarter than you and I know it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he gets under the NDP's skin that way. But I don't know. I mean, is this a problem for him going forward, do you think, or is this a, this a little blip for him?
1: Well, especially running against John Horgan, whose populist yeah. instincts are good. Now, Horgan, you know, he'll talk himself into trouble. At times, right? And he's got a temper, as we know, which we've seen in the past. So everybody has weaknesses. But going up against a populist like Horgan, as a a person who the rap on you is an elitist, you really need to turn some of that brain power into thinking, how do you avoid the really obvious pitfalls on the road? Because you'll walk into it again and again.
0: Okay, he had a better day, uh, Wilkinson did this week, and I thought you wrote a terrific column on on, the, on that in the paper this week, on the NDP spec, speculation tax, yes. which you have called half-baked, which I think is a really good descriptor for it. Um, the, the liberals did really well on this, pointing out that this speculation tax does not necessarily uh, exclusively target the people that people would perceive to be a speculator, some, you know, maybe offshore money and someone just using our real estate markets like it's their own personal monopoly game to just store vast amounts of wealth offshore. But it's also affects British Columbians who are fortunate enough to own a a second home that is not full-time occupied. But in many cases, they're just like a vacation cabin. And, uh, Tell me about what the how the liberals capitalized on that this week. Well,
1: they brought four real people yeah.
0: <laughs> to the legislature,
1: <laughs> and they were sitting there in the public gallery. And then they made them available, and they brought the mayor of Belcarra and four people who live in these sort of waterfront. Cabins. Where,
0: is, where is Belcarra?
1: So it's on Burrard Inlet. It's uh, it's in Metro Vancouver technically, but it's about as rural as you get. Yeah. And it, these are waterfront places so they're worth a lot, but these are really decrepit cabins. One of them, they showed us a picture of it, and it looks like it would blow down in a windstorm. Our friend Keith Baldry said it looked like a shot from Appalachia, right? And it's up on stilts. And so because they're included in the reach of the speculation tax, they're being taxed on the value of the land. Right. But these are, are tumble down shacks. So you, they brought these people here, along with the mayor of Belcarra, and— I, I'll give you the best example, I thought. There was this woman who inherited this cabin from her aunt, who was a, a, a championship Canadian athlete. She's in the Hall of Fame, the, the aunt, and left her the cabin. And the woman is, um, you know, making not much money, but she's facing a $6,000 speculation tax on the property yeah. and her only option realistically because she's not going to get an exemption the government's made it clear because it's the value of the land that's the issue is to sell right. so the mayor of belcara steps up and says okay now here's what happened if she sells because this is happening there she'll sell it somebody will pay a fortune for the land the shack will be gone and yeah. they'll build a monster house on the property And the monster house will not be rented out. It'll be those persons' property. So some rich person will actually get the site. And as the mayor said, this doesn't add anything to the rental supply, which is what we're told this tax is for. And it doesn't add anything to housing affordability. It's just, it's just a cash cow. Uh, so, you know, I thought the libs were pretty effective in bringing forward some people. There's a 93-year-old retired yeah. civil engineer whose grandkids, great-grandkids use the place. And those examples, I think you realize that the reach of the speculation tax is catching a lot of people who aren't speculators and whose properties aren't suitable for rental either, and the real reason the New Democrats are sticking to all this is because it's a cash cow. It's going to raise something like $450 million over three years. You bet they want people to pay up. They don't much care who gets called a speculator. I think
0: that in in some ways it's not so much a speculation tax. Certainly it, it does cap- capture some people who are clearly pop- property speculators, but it casts such a wide net and it takes in these other people. It's more like a wealth tax. Yeah. So if you have... If you're fortunate enough to have a second home, even if it is a, a tumble-down shack, um, they expect you to pay. What I think is interesting is that the government seems to kind of be digging in on it, like yes. that even though the liberals had uh, had put a human face on it and said, look, this is clearly not fair, the government doesn't seem to be budging, and Finance Minister Carol James is kind of standing her ground on it. Do you detect... Um, some politics at work here that the NDP might secretly be, be very pleased to see the Liberals standing up to defend people who own two homes and think like you go right ahead and, and defend these cabin owners. And we're quite happy to be standing here saying like, listen, this, this, yeah, maybe a tumble down shack, but the, the land is worth a million bucks. Yep. This gone, is a rich person. This parents. is a rich person and, and Wilkinson rich on paper, at least. Yep. And yet Wilkinson going to bat for them. And I think maybe the NDP are not that unhappy about
1: it. No, I, I think that's true. Uh, it, and I think it. the interesting thing about the tax is that I think some of the most effective attacks on it have been mounted by Weaver of the Green Party. Yeah. And he's out again this week. His, his now, Okay, he voted for the tax. All right. So he voted for yeah. the tax. And he got some improvement. He made improvement. It better. He got, yes. Okay. But. He's out this week on another issue on this, which is whether or not you know if you if you're in one of these situations and you're trying to get the taxes exemptions clarified because there are exemptions, you try to phone the helpline and yeah. you can't get through. Yeah. And Weaver's pointed out that he's had his own staff try to help people and they've given up after being put on hold for an hour and a half. Yeah. So the the tax is not um, is not clear to a lot of people. A lot of people don't understand why they're being taxed. They don't see themselves as speculators. But I think you're right. The reason the government keeps hammering it as a speculation tax, even though, as Weaver points out, most of the people aren't speculators, most of the people who pay this tax are British Columbians. They're not foreign speculators. But they keep hitting that button because we're going after speculators and people aren't looking at the fine print of what the tax actually does.
0: So you you don't see Carol James budging on this? Uh,
1: she's already, look, they've already redrafted the tax two or three times. Yeah. So I won't say she won't back down again. But I think you're right. They're really digging in to defend the tax, partly because it's embarrassing how many times they've already had to change the tax. Yeah. Like, you know, we'll, nothing will ever replace the HST as the most screwed up tax in BC <laughs> history. But we haven't seen very many taxes that they've had to change this many times in a year already.
0: All right. We'll see where that one goes. Vaughn, thanks for stepping in this week. Appreciate it.
1: Good to talk to you. I'll just head back to my retirement facility now. Okay.
0: maybe Hopefully Rob will be back next week. If, hey, Rob, if you're listening, get well soon, buddy. Uh, thanks a lot for listening to the podcast this week. Make sure you subscribe and wherever you download your favorite podcast, hit that subscription button and uh, don't miss a thing. And uh, we'll be back again next week. Thanks a lot.